I was just thinking this morning when the overhead thingy projector, whatever it is we've got, wasn't working. And um, just that, you know, we don't need words, do we, to worship God? Because it's the worship of our hearts. And it doesn't matter whether we're singing words up there or we're singing worship song of our own hearts. It's about worshiping him. It's not about the words. And um, sometime, sometime ago, I was thinking about what I wanted to preach on this morning. And the kind of idea that had been going around in my head was um, the idea of seizing the day, you know, taking the opportunities that um, Father God gives us. But sometimes when I'm thinking about a preach, I kind of know it's not quite right. So I'm thinking, yeah, it's not quite that, it's not quite that. What is it, what is it? And I know that eventually I'll get it. And it, it, I got it um, a few weeks ago in the service. We were singing the song that we sang um, this morning. Um, what does it sound like when you sing heaven's song? What does it look like when heaven comes down? What does, sorry, what does it feel like? What does it look like when God is all around let it come. And then you get to the second verse. And instead of the words that, were, that should be up there, which is, this is what it sounds like, all I could hear was Holy Spirit saying, love is what it sounds like when you sing heaven's song. Love is what it feels like when heaven comes down. And love is what it looks like when God is all around and I couldn't get that out of my, my head. And I knew that's really what he wanted me to be speaking about this morning. And so I called my preach, love is what it looks like. But, you know, I was so challenged when I was writing this, when I was thinking about what I was going to say, what he wanted me to say. Because I can stand up here and I can, you know, preach all the sermons in the world about love. But if I don't have it... If I don't live it in my life, then I'm, as Paul says, just a clanging symbol. And Paul knew what he was talking about when he described those without love as, as being like a clanging symbol because um, he was speaking to the Corinthians when he said that. And, the, and Corinth was known for being a city where they produced amazing things in brass. Um, it was one of the things that they did. And if you went into the marketplace in those days, you would have heard the most tremendous noise as all the kind of men making the brass things would be hammering out the brass because little things were, were actually hammered out. And so Paul, who would have um, spent time in the marketplace, would have heard the sound of the brass being hammered out. And it was a tremendous noise. And, you know, to hear yourself think, I, I think it would have been difficult. You would probably have to, if you wanted to say something to someone, you would probably probably had to be speaking right into their ear for them to hear you. And that's what it's like if we don't have love in our lives. You know, we can, we can say what we like. You know, I can stand up here and preach you about love, but unless I find it in my life, then I'm like one of those clanging symbols. And so when I'm preaching this morning, um, I'm preaching to myself as well as to you. And it's one of the few times I've sat down and written a preach and found, found myself in tears while I was writing it because we all know don't we that actually ultimately love is about the father's love for us love is about Jesus coming to the earth love with hands and feet and a voice and a face so I'm going to try and do justice to it but really I just like you to reach out to father God this morning and ask him to show you his love to give you the, the sense of his love in your life to put that passion into your life for him. So 1 Corinthians 13. Did you know that love is a currency? We give it and we receive it. 
and that it has the highest value of any currency in the universe. And if you look at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, the great love chapter that everybody knows so well that gets read out at weddings, then you'll see that's how it starts. He says this, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And if you jump to verse 13, it finishes that way. It says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So faith, we know that faith and hope have huge value, but love has even more. It is the greatest currency in the universe. See, if you remember the context of this passage, because we tend to think in chapters, but that's not how the New Testament was written. So the chapter before this one is about, is Paul speaking about spiritual gifts. And then the chapter after it, chapter 14, um, Paul's talking specifically about tongues and prophecy. But Paul puts love right at the center. Now, we're quite easily impressed, aren't we, by, um, by miracles, by prophetic words, by, um, you know, uh, things that we see, healings. But Paul implies that it's possible to have amazing spiritual gifts and for them, them to count for nothing if we don't have love. See, it's the one ingredient that no spiritual gift should be without. Spiritual gifts without love, Paul says, are valueless. If we exercise spiritual gifts and we don't exercise them in love, then what happens is they become um, self-satisfying rather than God-glorifying or self-seeking rather than God-glorifying. See, when I was at Bethel last in November, we, I went over for the Sozo Conference and for Leaders Advance. And at Leaders Advance, there was um, a guy they got up to speak called Sean Boltz. I don't know how many of you know, know Sean. Um, he's quite a character, I have to say. Um, and uh, he was prophesying over the uh, whole meeting. And there are, I don't know, how many people were there? Pete, 800 or more. So, you know, huge room filled with people. And this guy stands up. And these people are from all over the world for Leaders Advance. And he starts to prophesy. Now, I've heard some good prophesying in my time. But this one, by the end of it, my mouth was literally hanging open, and, and I'm really not exaggerating, because he would say things like, uh, there's a guy here called Jim, and um, uh, you know, there, I see the name, and then there, there was a name, and I can't remember the name, so I'm just giving you the gist of it. You know, I see the name, whatever it was, and you know, I see this, and I see uh, a van with the sign of, um, a, 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 a job on the van, and someone would stand up when he did this, and everything. So the name, oh, that's you know, that's the road I live in. Oh, this date, this is the date associated with that name. Oh, that's my wedding anniversary. I mean, it was just like that, wasn't it, Pete? Absolutely incredible. I'd never heard anything like it. So to say that I was impressed was an understatement. In fact, I was so impressed, I thought I'd never prophesy again. <laughs> you know, when you just think, oh, <laughs> I, you know, I can't do that. Um, but it was, it was incredible, and I was so impressed. And I thought, you know, how often, Father, am I impressed by acts of love? You know, it's, and I'm not saying that this guy, you know, isn't filled with love. I'm sure he is. And I'm not saying that when, you know, when we prophesy like that and it's full of love, it's not a fantastic thing. It is. But, you know, I can be so impressed by what I see in terms of, you know, those kind of out there gifts. 
and actually not be impressed with acts of love. Now, if I went round here this morning and I asked you, you know, to, to give me an example of someone showing you an act of love, you know, whether it was getting a meal for you when, when you were sick or when you were, you know, someone in your family was sick or when you just had a baby or whether it was, um, you know, taking you um, to doctor's appointments or, I mean, just you can think of hundreds of little things, you know, but they're all acts of love. Are we, are we as impressed by those? See, I think God is. I think those things impress him more than anything else. Mark 12:28 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, "Of all the commandments, which is the most important?" The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, when I first read that, I don't know about you, but it sort of made me think Ten Commandments, you know, because obviously you've got that at the beginning of the Ten Commandments about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. It doesn't actually say mine. Jesus added that one. I think he was just including everything really, wasn't he? But actually, when I kind of did a bit of reading, I found out that there were more than 3,500 commands in Israel at that time that Jesus could have picked from. So it wasn't just 10 he was picking from, but 3,500. The Israelites had added one or two since uh, the Ten Commandments. So for Jesus, for Father God, love is the most important commandment of all. Love has the highest value. And how are we to love God? Well, Jesus gave the answer totally. Heart, soul, mind and strength. If you've got anything else apart from heart, um, soul, mind and strength, I'd like to know what it is. Our whole being is to love God in that way. And out of our love for God comes our love for others. And Jesus is the example, the perfect example that we're meant to follow. Ephesians 5.2 says this, Walk in the way of love just as or in the same way that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And John 15:9 says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in or dwell in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So it seems a little bit of a tough one when you think about it, doesn't it? Being commanded to love. I mean, can you command someone to love? You know, can you switch it on and off like an you know, electric light or something? Well, it sounds like a command, but actually it's a liberty. It's a freedom. You see, he set us free to be able to love. He set us free to be able to love in the way that Christ loves us. Monk Thomas Merton said this. He said, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who has experienced the goodness of God. Which is true. I agree with that. But 
as we experience the goodness of God, then it makes us want to give that goodness to others, to share that goodness with others. So as we experience God's goodness, we become gooder, if that's a, a word. And I think it's the same with love, isn't it? That we need to experience the love of God in, able to, in order to be able to share it with others, in order to be able to get it out there. Out there. But as we experience um, the love of God, we become more loving. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because we love him because he first loved us. In order to love like that, we have to experience his love. And when we experience it, then we don't have to start reaching inside ourselves and try to sort of create feelings, if you like, of of love for God and for others because it flows out of the well of love that he's put inside us. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you understand that? So before I can truly love God and love others, I have to know how much he loves me, how much he's thought about me through all eternity how he loved and planned for me to be here, for me to be born, and how he always wanted to share his love and his life with me, how he knew about me before the foundation of the world, how he always intended me to belong to him, and how he put into action his plan to make that possible. See, God doesn't just show love, he is love. His love isn't a passive thing, it's an active thing. Now, I believe that some of you will find that difficult, you know, to sort of take on that whole idea, yeah, God has thought about me since before the foundation of the world. You know, God just wants to spend his time with me. He wants to share his life and his plans with me. You know, he he intends me to, um, to partner with him in that way. Because some of us have had our views of love colored by what we see in the world around us. We see God's love isn't like that. You don't have to prove yourself to God. God knows you. He knows all about you. And he loves you just as you are. But until I understand that, until I get to the point that I can know how much the Father loves me, then it's hard for me to extend that love to other people. Because I'm seeing it through um, my lenses. I'm seeing it through kind of the world's lenses rather than through the Father's lenses. So let's just have a quick look at um, some of the verses in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Because 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us what God's love is like for us. See, I think this passage, it's not misused because it, it is equally true that it should be what our love looks like. But it's so often used for weddings and things like that that we tend to just look at it and think it's talking about our love. But it's not because he is the model, he is the pattern, he is the example. And so when we read this passage, we're also looking, or in fact primarily we're looking at God's love for us and what it's like. Now, I'm going to jump around a little bit, um, which I'll explain as I go along. So we look at the first bit. Love is patient. Love is kind. Um, That word for patient literally means to put anger far away. See, we often think of patience as just being something where you just kind of sit and you wait and you wait and maybe you're in the doctor's surgery and, oh, wait, how long have I been here? I'm still waiting. But this isn't what that word means. This word for patience means literally to take anger and put it far away. It's, um, it's the patience of those who have the power to punish or to, to seek retribution. So if you think of, say, the story of David. You know David um, when he was being pursued by Saul? And um, he found himself in a cave. He was hiding in a cave. And King Saul came in to relieve himself, it says. Now David had the opportunity there to slay King Saul. And you might say, well, you know, he had good reason. If Saul got hold of him, 
he would have killed him. But he didn't do that. All he did was to cut a square from his robe. So he didn't, he didn't choose to retaliate. He didn't choose to, um, to take his revenge on King Saul. And, you know, God could do that to us because we know that we're all sinners and we know that sin deserves the wrath of God. But Father God chose to put his anger far away. He chose to be patient with us and he chose instead to hold out grace and mercy through Jesus. His, his patience is an active patience. It's a patience that's full of kindness. So he's not just sitting waiting, but he's, he's um, actively showing his kindness towards us. Now, the next few things about love um, I'm going to come back to because those are about what love isn't. But I'm going to just jump on a bit um, until we get to this bit. And I'm really sorry, but um, I didn't put the verses down, so you're just going to have to look. So it says that love rejoices with the truth. Why does it rejoice with truth? Well, because truth is about freedom. And we were, we were called to be free. Love, love loves freedom. Love loves to set us free. And it rejoices in freedom. The Bible says this. It says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Love, it says, always protects and that was an interesting one because that word protects it. What it means is it means protects or it means preserves by covering, almost like a sort of a watertight covering so that nothing can kind of get in and, and cause damage. And that's what his blood is for us, isn't it? You know, Jesus came to be our covering, if you like, um, and he protects us through his blood from the wrath of God. Love always trusts. Now, I want you to remember what we're talking about here is what God's love for us is like. Because, again, when we're thinking about how we love, well, we get that, don't we? We can say, yeah, you know, if I'm loving, then I'm trusting. You know, I trust people. I put my confidence in them. But actually, we, God does the same to us. So God trusts you. Have you ever thought about that? He trusts you. I don't always feel very trustworthy. I don't know about you. But God chooses to put his trust in me. And he chooses to put his confidence in me as well. See, he credits us with righteousness. He sees us as righteous and he puts his trust in us. Love always hopes and love always perseveres. So again, this this means this, to hold fast during trials and to endure mistreatment. And we think about Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then lastly, it says love never fails. And that literally means love never falls down. See, the love of the Godhead isn't like any other love. It isn't changed by circumstances. It is never devalued or misused. It's never abused. It's enduring and it's eternal. And we don't always get that picture of love when we look at the world around us. But God's love isn't like any other kind of love. It's the perfect love. So let's just go back a few verses. And I said I was going to do the, the, what love is not last. See, Paul puts these things in the middle. And when Paul is writing, he has a particular style, a particular way of writing. And it's a bit different to how we do things today. When we're kind of making an argument, one of the things we do is we sort of start at the beginning. And we usually build up to some kind of um, you know, climax, the main point. 
But that isn't the kind of way that, that they generally wrote those kind of things, and certainly Paul, who was a scholar. So they tended to put, he would put the important bit in the middle. So you know I said to you that the, the love passage was right in the middle of the bit about, um, about spiritual gifts. Well, in this particular pa- passage, the bit in the middle is the, the things that love isn't. So love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. Why did, that's where we start, why did Paul put those things in the middle? Well, I think maybe because those were the things he wanted the Corinthians to get. You see, those were the things that were the opposite of God's love modeled for us. Maybe those were the things that the Corinthians would recognize in themselves. You know, and when I read them, I recognize those things in me. You know, I know some of those things are things that have to change, that they're not the model of love that God gives us. So why do we envy? Why do we boast? Why are we proud? It says love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of the wrongs. Why do we do those things? Well, I think they come from our fear and our insecurity. When I truly understand the love of God for me, when I truly understand who I am in him, and I know we say this very often, but it is true, then I don't need to boast. I don't need to envy. I don't need to be proud. I don't need to dishonor others. I don't need to grasp onto things or want to hold on to things for myself. That's a hard one, isn't it? You know, when you're in the queue for the bus or whatever it is, you know, you're thinking, oh, I hope I get the last seat. And I'll just kind of shove the person in front of me to get that seat. I'm not saying you do that, but there are things in our lives like that, aren't there, where it's kind of really easy to want to be, you know, kind of push yourself to the fore to get hold of things. But when we know how Father God feels about us, when we know that love, do you know, we don't need to do those things. It says that love does not delight in evil or unrighteousness. So I don't need to sin even when I truly know who I am in God and when I truly know how much he loves me. And I don't need to keep any records of wrong. I don't need to hold grudges about people either. And I don't know about you, but when I think about these things, I know that I still have a very long way to go. But the thing is, God loves me anyway. God loves me exactly as I am. And God knows the journey that I'm on. You see, all the things in this this passage talk about Father God's active love. And his active love towards us does something. See, it creates value in us. The things that we love, we value. And we, we know that, don't we, that we're not valued because of anything we do, but we are value, valuable because of his love for us. And when you know that you're valued, and when you know that you're valuable, then you start to act like it. If you think you're not valuable... Well, you tend to act like that. And if you can see it in your kids, can't you? You know, when, when you sort of see kids and they're kind of inc- really encouraged and they do something and you say, that is an amazing picture of a frog, even though it looks like a, t- a dog. I mean, I had that mistake once. One of my sons did this picture um, at school and when he was young and um, I sort of said, oh, that's such a lovely picture of a badger. And he said, it's a fox. <laughs> Oops, wrong thing. Should have just said really lovely picture. But, you know, when, when children are encouraged like that, then actually you see changes in behavior. So, you know, my, my son sort of helps, say, helping me out, um, you know, washing, washing up. Now, if I just ignore that and I don't say, you know, oh, well done, it was really helpful you washing up, he's going to feel I don't value that. 
And maybe he's not going to, unless it's a chore he's got to do, maybe he's not going to offer to do it next time. But if I say to him, do you know what, that really helped me when you washed up, that was really kind of you, what's going to happen? He's going to feel good about that and he's going to come back next time and say, can I help wash up? So when we feel valuable, when we feel loved, then we start to act like that and we start to extend that to others and we start to give other people some of the value that Father God gives them. Sometimes it feels like our love does fail, doesn't it? I mean, you know, we all know some people who are really hard to love. (laughs) And uh, sometimes you extend love and you just get a slap in the face back again. Or as my husband would say, it feels like someone hit you with wet salmon, which is another way of putting it. (laughs) Um, But you know, even when that happens, love isn't wasted Sometimes we don't know what, you know what effect we have and sometimes those acts of kindness you know, bear fruit later. But even if they didn't, Selwyn Hughes says this, he says, the more we love, the more loving we become so that even if we receive no response, we have not loved in vain. We are the more loving for having loved. So in other words, when we love, it does something to us as well. So even if you get no response, it makes you more loving. Now, that's a hard one to, to explain sometimes. And I, I think I might have shared this story before, but a few years ago, um, I was asked um, by somebody who wasn't in this church um, if I would go and, and pray for their husband who was dying in hospital. And uh, I, I, think, I, I think I was in the office, which is why I got the call, and I think the elders were out and about, so they weren't around. So it was like, well, what do I do? So I rang up David and Christine because I know them well and, you know, thought they'd, they'd would, they would be up for it. And we went down to the hospital. And as we got to the hospital, um, there was complete chaos outside the room. And um, someone said to us, oh, he, he just died. So, of course, what do you do? You don't know any of these people. There's grieving family. There's, you know, his mum was there. The kids were there. Um, couldn't see his wife, who was the one that asked us to go and pray. Well, to be honest, what you really want to do is just kind of slink away um, quietly and sort of hope nobody noticed you got there in the first place. And I'm not saying we wouldn't have done that. But, in fact, at that moment, the door opened and his wife came up, up out. And she grabbed us and she said to everyone, I don't want any, anyone else in here. And she took the three of us into the room and we're like, and she said, I want you to pray that he'd be raised from the dead. Now, I must say at this point, he wasn't raised from the dead, so I'm not going to get your hopes up there. But as we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, what came was a a huge sense of peace. And she felt that as well. And it got to a point when I just knew in my spirit we weren't meant to pray anymore. But the thing was, if that man had sat up in the middle of my prayers or our prayers, I wouldn't have been surprised Um, which I know sounds kind of strange, it was just so much God was there, God was present. And what we were doing as we prayed for him, we were extending God's love. Whatever the consequences, you know, whether he was raised or not, whether that prayer was answered or not, it was still the love of God that was in that room. And when we left the room, um, I I said to her, you know, I I think it's time to stop praying, and she knew it was too. And so it was, it was okay. But when we, we went out, I found my faith had gone up, even though this guy had not been raised from the dead, because it put something in me that said, you know, I don't want 
to see people, young people like this, you know, with their family or anyone sort of dying of this awful disease. And if someone asks me to come again and pray for someone who's sick in that way or pray for the dead, I'm going to do it. Because at some point, if God asks me to do that, I am going to see the dead raised. Does that make sense? So something changed in me. And it's the same with love. Sometimes when we love, we don't get the response that we would like. But what do we do with that? Do we sort of go, oh, right, fine, never going to love again then? Or do we say, no, you know, I'm going to keep on loving? Because if I keep on loving, then someone at some point is going to get hold of that love of God and it's going to change them. I want to um, get a couple, I'm coming towards the end, you'll be glad to know, but I'm com- I want to get a couple of people up just to share something of, of love. Because we all love in different ways. Sometimes they can look like the kind of supernatural ways you've talked out and sometimes they can be just about how we live our lives. So if um, Sasha and Nick wouldn't mind coming up, if they're here. Thanks, guys. And they're just going to tell you their own their own story. <laughs> okay, Nick. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, I'm a geography teacher up in Lewisham, currently in the worst school in Lewisham, um, and I'm only a trainee. Well, in my first year out of training, so it's been a hard sell last year and a half. And I knew the sort of geography teacher I wanted to be. I wanted to be the cool one who made volcanoes erupt and took them to the beach and to the Lake District and all that cool sort of stuff. And I remember thinking when I was training, actually, what does God want me to be like? What sort of geography teacher does God want me to be? How do I show God's love in school in Lewisham? Uh, and when Donna called yesterday saying, how would you do it? It's like, oh, hello, I've got to think back. This was a nice little prompt again. And I sat there and thought a year and a half ago, what do I love about God's love? What's the thing that really makes me love God? And it was the fact that he is always there. He's always there. Whatever day I'm having, whether I'm top of the moon, or I'm the worst day ever, whether I'm in with the Holy Spirit, wherever I'm miles away, God is always there and I can always go to him and just chill and just know he's there and he's constant, he's not judging. I can come to him in whatever shape or form or mood and he's there and he loves me for that. So that's what I try to take into school. It's like kids who have so much turmoil in their life, kids who may be homeless and being shunted around period to post, kids who may be with a different parent every other night of the week, uh, kids who have a different supply teacher every day of the week and all these sort of things how can I show love to them it's just by being there for them just being a constant force for them just sat in my classroom and when she comes in upset because her dad got arrested the night before for doing drugs when so and so comes in upset because he's got to meet with a head about something he did last week when someone else has come in because their mum's just died all this sort of thing it's just being there for them it's not doing anything special. It's not doing anything else. It's not even talking to them sometimes. I'm not a counsellor. I'm, not, I'm a geography teacher for crying out loud. I colour in for a living. It's just being there for them. And that's all it is. And I love the bit in the Bible where it says, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it's, that's all I do. It's just trying to be there for them, trying to be someone who's constantly there and not judging them. Wherever they've done something terrible in my lesson, the lesson before, uh, and they're coming back, it's showing that forgiveness, not judging them and just being there for them. Fantastic. Yeah. And we need more young people who are willing to give their lives in that way to some of the really underprivileged, sad kids of the world. Let me just hand you over to Sasha. Hello. Um, For me, love looks like when you walk out of the door and you look at the people around you and you realise that if they don't know Jesus, then they don't have what you have. And um, when you see someone with a physical need or you just discern there's something going on in their life, knowing that we carry 
Christ in us and that there's an opportunity to extend God's love through us in, in, in what we do. And, and a couple of examples. Um, a little while ago, I was walking down the high street uh, past a musician in the street. And I just felt Holy Spirit say, go back and, uh, and, and, and listen. I thought, that's nice. Yeah, God just wants me to listen to him playing this music and that will bless him. I thought, that's nice. And then I just felt, I just felt, no, no, listen. And as I listened, I just felt God's heart for this guy. So when he stopped playing the, the guitar, I just spoke to him and told him what I felt God was saying. And what he said was, oh, I've got a friend who's a Christian. and He's been telling me about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. And I kind of found it a bit heavy. And so what I was able to do when, when he heard the heart of the Father for him, he's, he teared up. And I was able to say to him, well, hey, look, you know, go back to your friend and, and talk to him some more. You know, if someone's just going to, a stranger's going to stop in the street and just talk to you, you've got to know that God really loves you. And then... Uh, yeah, a, a couple of days ago. I mean, this is sort of seeing physical need and, and, and realizing, you know, Jesus paid a price and, and, and people are suffering and they don't need to eat. And it's the whole thing of there's that phrase of getting the reward for his suffering in terms of we go out and about. So we, we were in blue water and there's a lot that went on, but I'll just narrow it down to a couple of instances. We, uh, myself and Carol, we were a couple of hours spare, basically, before evening school. We thought, right, we want to go and see the realities of the kingdom of heaven in people's lives. So we, we kind of went in, and one lady we saw in a motability scooter, uh, we got talking to her, and the way that Carol approached the husband just blew him away, and said, yeah, no, fine, yeah, I'd love you to pray. And she hadn't been able to bend her knee for three years, and, and after prayer was able to do that. And the whole family then came along. They were amazed. They got to hear about the goodness of God. And so it's stuff like that, um, just seeing the need and, and just extending that love in that way yeah and if you're not Sasha's friend on Facebook go sign up because you're going to hear and read some amazing stories okay I'm always thinking what is she up to next but you see there are lots of people here that love I could have rung up half the church I mean there are the guys who help with them food bank Um, there are the um, street pastors and we seem to be getting more of those you know there are the youth leaders there are the treasure hunters there are those who minister in the healing center there are just workers in the marketplace there are mums in the playground and there are many many more when we choose to act like our daddy God we get to look more like him when we choose to become more loving and um, then the more we love the more that becomes who we are. And as we get to the end of the passage, what we find is that, you know, Paul has learned the things that matter most. Um, He has learned that the things that last are faith, hope, and the greatest of all, love. And I want to, I'm just going to finish with a couple of things. I just want to read you something that I found um, in the Times a little while ago and just really spoke to me. This is um, a guy who was a lifelong supporter of Bristol Football Club, Bristol City Football Club, no idea what league they're in, but are they? No, no, Pete doesn't know, so they can't be in the premiership. All right, but anyway, he was a lifelong supporter of Bristol City Football Club, but he was dying of lung cancer. He was 54 and he was dying of lung cancer. And he was told that he only had days left probably to live, but he got to this last match, which is what he wanted to get to this last match. And he said, I want to speak to the players so um, his brother, um, I don't know how he contacted him, but he contacted the, um, the, the manager of Bristol City Football Club and they allowed um, this, this man, Mark, to come in and speak to the players. 
And he says this. The visit to the Ashton Gate Stadium in Bristol was arranged by his brother, Bill, 53, who said that Mark had left the players in no doubt how privileged they were and how much the fans counted on them to deliver a victory. Oh, what I should say is they'd had this very, very long losing streak. They were sort of in danger of relegation. He said he was going to speak to them, and I told him he'd better speak to the manager, Bill said. Mr. Saunders went up and tapped Steve Cottrell, the manager, on the shoulder and asked if he could address the team. Cottrell agreed and assembled the players in the treatment room. Mark just went for it, his brother said. He said he'd followed the club for 30 years and had gone through some scrapes as a fan. He said that people travelled from all over the country to follow them, and it was a pity the players weren't fighting like the fans are. He told them how privileged they all are. He said, I've walked past all your flash cars in the car park. I know how much you get paid. You should remember how lucky you are. He said they had to step up their game. I think it did make a difference. The players, some holding back tears, applauded Mr Saunders and went on to win the match, ending their disappointing run. Speaking after the match, Cottle said the players had been put in their place by the powerful speech. He wanted to have a little chat with the players as he didn't feel as if he was going to see next Friday out, which puts football into a bit of perspective, Cottrell said. And, you know, as I was um, looking at this preach, I realised how privileged I am. You see, I can know that faith, that hope, that love. I do know that faith, hope and love in my life. And I know the acceptance and love of the Godhead. But there's a world out there that doesn't. You know, there are people out there that don't know that love came to earth in Jesus. And I can tell people about it. You know, I can get out there and I can and give people the good news. But actually, that's not going to be as effective as I demonstrate it in my life. And as I love, then I demonstrate what Jesus came to do. You see, love isn't spoken, it's lived. Jesus came for sinners. He came for outcasts. He came those caught in the net of their own bad choices. He came for failures. He came for the sick and the dispossessed. He came for the businessman and the banker, the factory worker and the cleaner. He came for the drug addict and the alcoholic. He came for the policeman and the thief. Jesus was the word made flesh, the Father's love in action. Jesus, who demonstrated the Father's love with every word and every action that he ever performed, and then in the end with his death. If we want to see heaven on earth in every area of life, then we need to be willing to take every opportunity to receive his love first and then take it back out there because we are the privileged ones. I wanted just to finish, and sorry, I'm slightly over time, so um, with, um, have you got the slide there, um, Trish? If it will come up. We've been having fun with the overhead, as you know. No? Oh, yeah, it's up. Okay. So what I want you to do, if you, if you would feel that you want God to start to speak to you more about his love, to give you more of his love, and if you want to then be able to extend that to others, I've changed the words a bit. I hope that's all right. Um, and I've kind of made it into a declaration. And I know that you'll look at that and you'll think, well, that's not true of me. You know, I'm not always patient. I'm not always kind. But if you want that to be true in your life, if you want Father God to do something, then I'm going to invite you to stand and just read that out with me and just state it as a declaration of what Father God is going to do in us so that we can bring heaven to earth. I am patient. I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. I am not proud. 
I do not dishonor others. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. I do not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. I always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. My love never fails. And Father, we just ask that you will make that true in us so that heaven does come to earth in North Kent, so that heaven does come to earth in our homes, so that heaven does come to earth in our workplaces and in everywhere that we have any, um, any place. Father God, make it true in us. And thank you, Father, for the love that you showed when Jesus came to be a demonstration of love for us. Amen.